This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 103. And the quote of the day is, The reward of the hustle is not what you get, but who you become. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and this session is brought to you by Drum Magazine. And if you want to play better, be sure you're checking them out every month. They don't have just these cliched Q&As. They have in-depth profiles, gear, gear reviews, and some of the best lessons you'll find anywhere, like the recent article, 43 Shuffles That Every Drummer Should Know. Check them out or subscribe today at drummagazine.com. This session is also brought to you by Boso Bamboo Drumsticks, the world's first full line of bamboo drumsticks check them out today at bosodrumsticks.com and use the promo code podcast and save yourself 15 percent off of your entire order also i want to let you know that drummers resource tees are now available uh, to commemorate the 100th episode i have some drummers resource t-shirts that i'm selling that are going to be in limited supply so if you're interested in grabbing one check out drummersresource.com forward slash T T E E, and you can pick up one of those. They're only fourteen bucks, and it helps support the podcast and it commemorates the one hundredth session of the podcast. The interview that I have today is Aaron Comus, who is best known for his work with the Spin Doctors, but is also a ridiculously talented drummer in other genres, uh, and has played you know all throughout New York City and all over the country and all over the world, and is just a super super. Uh, humble dude. He's a great guy and he's a fantastic player as well. So he has some knowledge that he's going to drop on you in this podcast. So I'm really, really excited about it. And Aaron actually just reached out and told me that he listened to the podcast, uh, which was flattering. And I said, well, let's get you on here. So I'm definitely glad that we did. So let's get into this interview with Mr. Aaron Comis. Aaron, what's happening, man? Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Hey man, thanks for having me. It's a uh, pleasure to be here. Absolutely, yeah. We we were just talking. We're we're kind of neighbors. We uh, you're you're a little far off though, because like Brooklyn is is so close, but it's so far away. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, we're a couple rivers between us. I remember watching a, uh, a a video on YouTube, and it was like things New Yorkers say, and one of them was like, "Where's that rest? Oh, it's in Brook. No, I don't go to Brooklyn." Well, like, it's funny. It's funny, man, because I you know I've been in New York for twenty five years now, and I I lived in Manhattan. For just until the last, till about a year and a half ago, I decided to move out here, and basically, I, I used to say the only reason I go to Brooklyn was to go to Peter Luger. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and now I live about four blocks away from Peter Luger. Nice. Uh, yeah. So nice. It's pretty convenient. Awesome. So now you can say the only reason I moved to Brooklyn was for Peter Luger's. Exactly. <laughs> Definitely one of them. Yeah. So I always, um, I, I think you've listened to the podcast before, or at least checked it out, but I always like to yeah. get you know, a little bit of backstory on, on the guests. So tell everybody who you are and, and what you do, and then we can really dive into, into your career. Well, my name is Aaron Comus and I play the drums and, um, I probably am best known for playing in the group spin doctors, which I've been in for 25 years now, believe it or not. And, um, but as well as that, I, you know, I'm fortunate enough to work with a whole bunch of other really great musicians and songwriters and artists and, uh, and I have my I have a couple different of my own groups that I've been doing, and I've been putting out my own records. So that's kind of the the short version. Um, but I uh, I started out going all the way back. I started out and uh, grew up in Dallas, Texas, 
And I started playing drums when I was about nine years old. I feel like everybody that I interview started playing drums when they were nine. Is that right? Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> well, it's a, you know, it's, it's a good age. It's a, it's a good age. It's funny because my daughter's about to turn nine, and like she's just at that point where like I don't know. I, I think your mind develops when you right when you get to be around nine. You like all of a sudden you're kind of like making your own decisions. You, I don't know. I see it with her how she's really like become much more independent you know mm-hmm. and, and i think uh it's i think it's a good age i mean it, I, you know my, my parents you know got me piano lessons when i was like five and i took piano lessons for about three or four years and that was great but it was more of something i was forced into doing mm-hmm. and it was cool but uh, but but the drumming thing it was like my decision i was like i want to play the drums i went to my parents and i asked them if they would get me a teacher and, and sign me up for private lessons. And so it was kind of, you know, it, all, it was all my own doing. So it was, I, was just, I guess the, that's around the time when you start to like, you know, at least, at least for me, and I guess maybe a lot of people too, you start to kind of make your own decisions and figure out, you know, your own interests. Right, right. So now you mentioned that you, had, you went and took lessons, so you went the, the rudimental way and, and learning all that stuff? I did. I really feel lucky, you know, that uh, it was kind of luck of the draw. You know, I think a lot of it is, if you're lucky enough to find a great teacher when you're young, it can make all the difference. And in my case, the there was a local music store called Brook Mays in Dallas, and the local teacher there was a guy named Jack Iden, and he just happened to be fantastic, you know. And he, I'm, I remember the very first lesson I ever took. He showed me how to hold the sticks, and I played traditional grip. And it's all because he showed me that day, and it felt like the weirdest thing in the world when he showed it to me. But it, you know, totally makes sense to me now, and I still play that way to this day. And um, and he started me out on rudiments the first day. He, I remember he wrote on a little teeny piece of paper. He taught me the rough and the flam and the five-stroke roll and the double-stroke roll. And uh, we took it from there, you know. So it was very much rudimentary based from the get-go, learning how to read music. And those first couple of years was just me on a practice pad and then a snare drum. And, you know, I'd go in there kicking and screaming every week, begging him to let me get a drum set. And, and he was very adamant about not letting me get a drum set. And it was really great advice. And luckily, my parents listened to him and didn't get me a drum set until he gave me the OK. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't get a drum kit until I was about 11. And um, hmm. it was great because by the, you know, his, what he said was true. It was like, you know, get your, I really want you to get your hands together and your technique together and learn how to read. And, He's like, you may hate me now, but you're going to thank me later. And he was right. You know, so by the time I finally got a drum set and started studying on the drum set with a different teacher, um, I, had a, I had a good good facility, you know, and I could already read music and play rudiments. And, you know, I was doing concert snare drum pieces, and it was really great, you know. Sure. I, can't, I'm, I couldn't be more grateful to this guy. And now looking back, I'm sure, you know, at the time it was probably a pain in the ass, but and uh, well, I shouldn't say that because I don't want to speak for you, but I think that a lot of um, younger kids are like, man, I don't want to do this. This is a drag just playing the pad. I want to play the kit. So for you, was there a point where you really got into that stuff or was it the whole time like, man, I just want to get this kit? I really actually enjoyed it. You know, I, I think um, luckily enough, I was I was focused and disciplined enough to, to want to do it. And I practiced every week and I, you know, I took it seriously. I think the you know, the long game was. I really wanted to get the drum set, so mm-hmm. I was I was going along with the program to, to get to that point. But I really I really did enjoy that, and I enjoyed it so much that even after I got a drum set and started taking drum lessons from a, from another great teacher, a guy named Rick Latham. Mm, I like I, um, actually, I just uh, I just met Rick like three weeks ago. I was out at Drum oh, cool. Channel in California. And- just met him. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. You know, and another, mm-hmm. another big, another lucky, you know, I've been, I'll, we'll talk about it more, but I got really 
lucky all the way through like you know my beginning years to have great teachers rick was great and uh but even even after even as i was taking with rick after a couple of years i actually wanted to go back to jack Ida. i actually wanted to go back and continue what we were doing with with uh rudiments and reading so i, I was kind of bouncing back and forth between rick and jack and you know taking from both of them for a while and and also very lucky at the time in dallas the music school programs, I mean, the, the public schools had really great music programs, which is, you know, unfortunately not so much the case anymore. Sure. And, uh, you know, so I was in, like, you know, in junior high, I was in big band and symphony orchestra. And, uh, you know, I, I was, and all through high school, I went to an arts high school in Dallas and I got to do, you know, symphony orchestra as well as small group and big band. And, and uh, you know, it really, it really was it was really great to have all that in my, you know, to be exposed to all that early on and having great teachers. And after, after studying with Rick for all, Rick moved off to LA. Mm-hmm. Oh, was he originally from, from the Texas or Dallas, Texas? Yeah. Area? Yeah. Well, I think he, uh, you know, I'm not sure whether he actually was from Texas originally, but he, you know, he went to North Texas state university mm. and he, and then he stuck around and he was doing well, in Dallas, teaching privately, he wrote his book. You know, the Funk Advanced Funk Studies, which came such out such a good book, great book, and it came out right when I started taking from him. So, like, I was, you know, it was immediately we were working on that. With I was working on that book with him, as well as big band chart reading, because um, he was really into that. And he studied. He when he left, he turned me on to his teacher, who was the head teacher at North Texas at the time, which is a guy named uh, Henry Oxtell. Mm-hmm incredible teacher he's taught a lot of great drummers because he taught so many people that came through north texas state you know he's got a great track record and we got into some great stuff um you know a lot of it was was reading and again big band chart reading interpretation and then we got into some really advanced like polyrhythmic stuff and you know all kinds of crazy stuff he was great but the whole chart reading thing that i got that i got turned on to early on with rick and then later with um henry was you know, I find it to be so. It was such a good influence on me because as you get, as you grow up and you start playing with groups and professionally, and you know, you you know, wh- what do we do besides besides you know having the, having the technical ability to to have your voice and try to get all that stuff together? I mean, we're the main thing that we do is interpret music. You know, so mm-hmm. you know, having that background with reading and and the whole big band, the whole concept of of big band hits and making the groove feel good and short notes and long notes and all setting up the, setting up the melody. You know, I find it to this day, it's very, uh, it really influenced the way I interpret music, you know? Mm-hmm. Now there's a couple of things that I wanted to touch on. Um, one, how important do you think that all of that training that you did when you were younger really shaped you as a player today? Do you think that you would be the player that you are today? Had you not gone through and like learned all of these different styles and and went through all of the rudimentary stuff for years and and all that, because I think a lot of people think that they can just jump in and you know they're going to get to this level, and I sort of try to tell people like you have to go through and do all of this other stuff and learn all of this stuff and you know learn the lineage and all that. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's got look. There's obviously many different paths to becoming a good drummer and mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't necessarily think there's only one way to do it but I can definitely say for me there's no way I'd be the drummer I am today and have done what I've done today without that education mm-hmm. and I you know I think I come from the school of thought for the most part that I think you if you if you really work on your craft and get the the fundamentals together it's just going to make everything a lot 
easier. I mean, you know, the, mm -hmm. drumming is a difficult instrument. I mean, it's it a is. very hard instrument. It's very technical. Even if you don't play technically, you know, it's let's you know, there's all these different things going on at once, all these different limbs, and you got to use your mind, and there's a lot of stuff going on. And the easier you can make it, the better, you know, because you know, if you're if you're struggling up there, you're going to sound stiff, and you're not going to be able mm -hmm. to be musical, and you're not going to be able to find your voice, and it's going to be a struggle. So the more you have your stuff together the easier it is to get up and play. And let's face it, you know, you want, you want it to be fun, you want it to be easy, and you want to be able to, uh, to be creative and, and get out there what you're trying to do. So, so yeah, I, I totally come from a point of, of, I think, that learning all these fundamentals and practicing and, and studying different styles of music, even if, even if you decide you're going, to be, you're going to focus on one style of music more, um, I think, you know, learning to understand the language of these other styles is going to make whatever you do better. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a person that, that has always enjoyed listening and playing a lot of different styles. So I've always worked really hard to kind of understand the languages of all those different styles. And I still do to this day. I mean, there's always, there's so much to, there's so much to learn constantly. There's all this new stuff happening. And then, you know, I got all, I mean, I've been, I grew up, I grew up, you know, and all the drummers that happened before me, you know, studying all them and all the music that happened before me. And then, you know, you, you become friends with people your own age and they become your influence. And then you, all of a sudden you look, you look and there's this whole new generation of musicians that are younger than me that I'm learning from now. So I'm kind of right smack in the middle of it all. And it's a great place to be because I got, now I'm almost more interested in listening to the younger guys because, you know, I've been studying the older guys my whole life. So it's like, and I still continue to do that, but there's, there's, uh, you know, it, the, the whole thing never ends, and I think if you right. really want, if you really want to be serious and about what you do, you gotta, you gotta continue to be a student forever. Sure, know? sure. Now, you had mentioned that you were working with Rick out of this book, and so I would, I would love to get into that a little bit because I would love yeah. to hear how he taught out of that book. Because I mean, I use that book; I've used it for years. It's a great book, and I recommend anybody out there listening that if you haven't gone through Rick's book, um, Advanced Funk Studies, to do it, check it out. Um, but how did he work? Because let me let me preface this with something. The reason why I'm asking is because I think a lot of people get books and they just kind of go through every page and they run through it once or twice. And like, oh, okay, I can play that. Let me go to the next thing. Uh, oh, okay, I can play that. Let me move to the next thing. But they're not really digesting it and learning from it. So how did Rick yeah. teach through that book? Well, I mean, for starters, yes, it was a, a you, you'd you'd read you'd read the parts, you go through them, and make sure you you understood them and you could you could play them technically. But the whole the whole idea of that book was to give people an understanding and education to funk, mm -hmm. or what or what funk was at that time. Obviously, it's changed a lot. But you know, I, the thing that was great about studying with Rick was, you know, he just came out with this great book, and not only did it have like, he had some great transcriptions of other drummers in there, like some GAD transcriptions and different things, and and all his own versions of of. Uh, of all these different kinds of beats um, from, you know, two bar to four bar, to eight bar phrases, then to like those pieces they had at the end, which mm -hmm. were like 32 bar pieces or whatever. And um, I think that's where I learned how to play scrib cakes. Oh yeah. Is that in that Probably. book? I think Probably it's, so. yeah, it's, I think it's in there. <laughs> it's been a while since I've looked through it. You know, it's, I mean, I think it, I think he just had his like, what was it? Like God, 35th anniversary or something. I mean, it's, it's been a while now. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a, you know, and literally, I was in seventh grade when I when the book came out, and I started studying with Rick. So it's a long time ago, but um, but you know, the but the thing that was always the most important thing, like anything, and thing that Rick made clear, this stuff has to feel good. You know, I mean, it's all about it's not you know, funk is, it's 
It's like they say with jazz, if it, if it, doesn't, it doesn't mean a thing if it doesn't have that swing. You know, same thing with funk. I mean, really, any music, I mean, it's got to feel good, no matter how te- technical something is. You've got to right. make it feel right. So so the, the funk book that Rick had, it was pretty technical. I mean, it wasn't just like, you know, like four on the floor two four funk i mean there was some of that but it was it got into some pretty sticky type of type of rhythms and uh, and it was great and it was challenging but the whole point was you know it's gotta it's gotta always feel really good so you know getting that uh having somebody tell me that you know really early on was was really good information to learn i was lucky to have a good combination of of um people that were making sure that i got my technique really together but also making sure that i understood that it didn't mean anything if it didn't feel really good. And sure. I had that I had that, that concept slammed home many, you know, for, since I was really like 12 or something. So I was lucky, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you had mentioned that you did a lot of, uh, a lot of, went through a lot of chart reading books and, and things like that. What are some books that you recommend that people go through? Well, you know, I mean, God, you know, I wish I could, I wish I could remember some of the actual chart reading books, but I remember like, well, I mean, we, we would have, like Henry Oxtell would pull out, you know, he would, he would bring like these charts from North Texas mm-hmm. stuff, stuff that they were working out, you know, in the lab band. So I'd be able to like check out these charts, you know, there were definitely some books that I went through. It's just been so long. I can't remember the names of them as far as, as far as chart reading, but I can tell you a lot of the other books that we went through that I still work on to these days, you know, that I worked on with, uh, with Henry, which is for one, the syncopation book, which probably if you don't have it, a drum where you need to have it it's like right. it's i'm sure you know what i'm talking about and the, and the great thing about that book is and henry was the guy that turned me on to like there's those seven or eight pages in the middle that are like the 32 bar phrase uh you know rhythmical patterns mm-hmm. and and he turned me on to like a million ways to do them for um independence so i think it's like it starts at like page 33 or something yeah exactly yeah. exactly and you know it just opened the door wide open for me i mean you know obviously the 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 simple one is you know ding ding da ding ding da ding on the ride hi hat on two and four and then playing the pattern with your left hand the pattern that you see I think that's the first four bars of that first page but then then you do the same thing with the kick drum okay then you can do you know eighth notes on the snare drum and quarter notes or anything longer than quarter notes on the kick drum. And, and then from there, you can go on and on and on. You can do, you know, uh, bass drum, do the pattern on the, the, the line on the bass drum and fill in the triplets in between on the snare drum. And it just goes on and on and on. We got into some crazy stuff. And I still, I still, you know, when I practice, I go through that book. And since then, I've just come up with a million ways on my own to do it. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, so that book never gets old. It's, you'll, you'll never be done with that book. Right. The other, the other one is the Chapin book, you know, um, which is a, a really important book for anybody that's that's interested in playing jazz, and really it applies to everything. I mean, all these books, even if you're not a jazz player per se, it's just they're kind of like the, for me, the Chapin book and the Syncopation book are the two books that I really honed on, and I still do to this day, just to kind of keep my technique in check. And um, you know, they're they're great. If you don't have them, you got to get them. Definitely, I agree. I I remember watching. Um, a, a video of Ralph Peterson playing through the syncopation book, and I think he's playing. I think he's playing like an inverted paradiddle. Is that what he's playing? I think he's playing an inverted paradiddle, but he's like he's act, he's playing syncopation. He's accenting all of the the melody in syncopation. Why he's playing this inverted paradiddle, like between the ride and the snare? 
Yeah, I mean, it's just like insane, and it's like it's super fast. And uh, I, was, I just remember watching it. I was like, "Well, I'm probably not going to be able to do that." Well, you know, it's it's that's the great thing about that book. It just goes on and on and on. You know, I mean, you right. can do the, you know, you can play with the paradiddle thing. You can do the, um, you know, play the line, play the line, accent the line, and play paradiddles in between. Can you hear me here? Yep. You know, like. That's the first line of it, right? You know, and, and and then you can you know you can take you put the right hand on the on the on on a tom tom, left hand on on right hand on the floor tom, left hand on the tom tom, or right hand on a cymbal to your right, left hand on cymbal to the left, accent with a kick drum. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on and on, and it, and it's um, it, it's it you know it's, it's really more of a technical study, but it's also like you know creatively, you get these you get these kind of ideas. You know, you practice them so much that they become second nature, and then you can incorporate them in, in, you know, in soloing or something. Obviously, you don't want it to sound like you're playing the syncopation book, but eventually, these little these little ideas get ingrained into your consciousness and and hopefully come out in a in a you know an improvisational musical way. You know, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it's the sky's the limit with that book. I mean, sure. they'll, they'll never be done with it. I don't know. I don't know if he meant for that to happen when he wrote it, but such you know, a good book, though. But it's just like, you know, the the, the simplest kind of rhythms he came up with in the in those middle eight pages have just turned into you know gold mine for drummers yeah i you know it's funny i've done i mean i've worked out of that book a ton um but i've always graduate uh, gravitated toward stick control and i've done the same thing with stick control in terms of using like the first two pages as just a systematic way of working through things and then making the r's and l's stand for different things and you know and it's like man i could just have these two pages and work out of them for the next 20 years yeah, and never much. run out of ideas. Yeah, I know. That's yeah, great. It's amazing. It's great. So, I, I want to get into the Spin Doctor stuff a little bit and and talk about how that band came about um, and and you know that that whole career because that that's a big chunk of your career as well. Yep, no question. Um, well, you know, we basically I had I graduated high school in Dallas, and then I uh, I went up and did a year at Berkeley, which was great. You know, one year there where I did the whole I studied with Tommy Campbell, which was really cool, and I studied with a guy named a great drummer named Ed Uribe up there as well. And I did a year there of just basically you know living in the shed for ten hours a day and mm-hmm. doing that doing that thing that you should do, and and playing you know playing with musicians at night. So it was just living living on the drum set twelve hours a day. And it was great. I got a lot out of it. I really, you know, improved a lot that year. And then I decided to go back to Dallas, where I was from, and I wanted to just like get a house with some friends. I wanted to see if I could just support myself playing, playing drums. And I did that. And I that year that I went back, I, I went back and studied with Henry Oxdahl for that year, and it was great. You know, we really got, that was the year we got into some really really advanced stuff. Um, talking about books, there was this great book called Time Against Time Divided by Time. And then another book called Polysymbol Time, very high, very advanced uh, polyrhythmic books. And that year I really started to like kind of that, – that opened me up big time to like, you know, polyrhythms and um, – What was the second one called? Polysymbol Time. And the first one was called Time on Time Divided by Time. I wish I could remember the, the, the author's names, but I, it's slipping my mind. But if you look it up but, – but for anybody that's kind of looking to open up that door into – really advanced rhythmical things applied to the drum set. It's great, you know, and it, and it, you know, it was, it was a really good year for me. 
um, going back and studying with Henry and all while, you know, just gigging around doing every gig I could do in Dallas. I played, every, you know, jazz groups, blues groups. I had an original band with some friends. I was doing weddings. I was just, you name it. You know, I was doing mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. and it was cool. And then I decided to, at the end of the year, I decided I wanted to, uh, make a move. And I, I'd always kind of wanted to move to New York and, um, I had heard about actually Roy Hargrove, who's a you know very well known yeah, yeah. jazz jazz trumpet player. We went to high school together. He's an old friend of mine, and we were driving up to Denton to do a gig, and he handed me this pamphlet about he'd heard about the new school. So that's where I first heard about it. So I went up to New York and checked it out, and it was great. And I got accepted, and I, that's that's basically what brought me to New York. Um, and I knew that I wanted to new, move to New York, and I figured my, I knew my parents would be really happy to for me to go back to college, and it would give me a little money to come to New York, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> that was kind of my plan. You know, okay, go to school, get some, you know, until I'm making enough money, I'll stay in school. And I had a great two and a half years at the new school, um, in New York city, which was a, it was a, at Parsons school of design. And they just started a jazz studies program here. Arnie Lawrence, who's a great saxophone player, started the program. And it was just amazing because all the guys that I grew up listening to, all the jazz guys, teachers here you know it wasn't mm -hmm. like it wasn't like a lot where a lot of music college music schools where it's you know a guy that like got a degree in music education and, and decided to be a teacher nothing wrong with that but these guys were guys that had been making records and living on the road and really doing it so it was mm -hmm. to be like 20 20 years old and to have class with jimmy cobb and reggie workman and awesome. uh, you know jim hall and all these amazing guys it was just like you're in awe of these guys and, you mm -hmm. know and I got to study with Bernard Purdy, who was my teacher that year. Nice. Um, so that was great. And and through that, I ended up meeting uh, Chris and Eric, who were the, in the Spin Doctors. Eric was putting a band together, and he actually heard me practicing behind the door and just knocked on the door. and was like, hey, man, I got a gig. You want to play? You, you want to be in the band? <laughs> like, sure, sure. Typical drummer. Okay, sure. You know. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Gig. Okay, yeah. So, uh, you know, one thing led to another, and... and, and uh, the band kind of shaped up and we, you know, we, we were gigging around town a lot and, and, uh, I was in another band. I was in this funk band called Spade. It's like hardcore funk band from all these cats from the Bronx and stuff. I was the resident white guy in the band <laughs> and, uh, and Mark White, the bass player was in that band. And I, we, we've been going through bass players, you know, in the spin doctors, we couldn't find anybody that really gelled. And so I got Mark in the band and that's when things really gelled. And we just, we were like, one of these bands that played like five nights a week in New York. We just gig, gig, gig. That was our thing. And uh, it just kind of, you know, snowballed. And, you know, we pretty quickly developed a really big following. And there was a big buzz around us. And it just was a cool thing, you know. And so after I was, we were, we were doing pretty well. And I, after about two years of, of new school, I finally was like, okay, dad, you know, I'm, I don't need your money anymore. <laughs> That's it. I'm dropping out. <laughs> and we were getting real busy anyway. So, you know, so it all worked out cool. And that, that was kind of the beginnings of that. Nice. So that was what year did you guys start that band? Eighty eight. Eighty eight. Yeah. Wow. Right when I, it was the year I moved here. You know, I met these guys pretty shortly after after I moved here. You know, it was again they Chris and Eric went to the new school. The people there were some amazing people at the new school. I mean, it was you know, uh, well we all we all met there. John Popper from the Blues Traveler was there. Um Brad some you know, amazing jazz guys, Brad Meldow. Uh, Peter Bernstein, I mean, just, you know, Larry Goldings, just a whole bunch of guys that have all gone on to do great, you know, really talented bunch of, bunch of creative musicians who were there around the same time, and everybody was playing together and really supportive. It wasn't at all like this kind of jazz snobby vibe like you see at some places. It's like, oh, there's right. the rock guys, and there's the jazz guys, and there was, everybody was just like 
playing together and encouraging each other and doing their thing, you know. And, and that was kind of the vibe that they encouraged at the school too, which was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, when did I mean? So you guys started in '88, and when did you guys really hit? Well, you know, we 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 were doing our thing around New York City for like three years, like really strong, and we kind of started to branch out of New York, and eventually we got a record deal around '91. Made a record, put out a live record first, and we made the record, which you know ended up being Pocket Full of Kryptonite, which came out like late '91, mm-hmm. and it, it didn't really do much until it took a while, you know, a lot of touring, but you know, finally like around like '93 is when the thing just broke wide open. Right. Yeah. I was actually going to mention that because uh, so I'm a huge Philadelphia Phillies fan, and there's a that so '93 was like when when uh, Two Princes was was really big. And I remember watching the documentary and every single night, every time that the Phillies won, Kurt Schilling would go in and turn on two princes and blast it through the uh, through the locker room after every win. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So I remember watching a documentary. That was the year that the the Phillies went to the World Series. And and he and Lenny Dykstra was like, yeah, man, he was like, every time we won, he was like, Schilling would come in and we always cranked up the spin doctors. Oh, that's cool. Man. And there's a video of him of him playing it and everything. So it was cool. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> small little small little uh piece of of uh of info there. Yeah, man. I like it. <laughs> so so you're doing you're doing the spin doctors thing and so what was the what was the path of that? Did you guys I mean cuz you guys are still together. So yeah. um and how often are you guys playing now? You know, it really just depends. I mean, you know, this year we're we tend to work more in the summertime. I don't know. We'll probably do like 20 to 30, probably about 30 dates this year. It's not going to be a real busy year, but it's, you know, a couple of years ago when we put out a record, we did a lot more. It just depends, but it's kind of, it's actually a really nice thing where it's at now because, well, you know, first of all, it's all the same guys, all the original members. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're lucky to have what we have and people still want to see us so we can do good shows. And, but it's not like this all encompassing thing that takes over our whole lives. And that, you know, that was great back then. Obviously, when things were like really happening and they were, you know, we were this hot new band, it was great. But, you know, I'm glad that I don't have to, I don't want to necessarily be that guy like every day anymore. You know what I mean? So it's the the, the way it works now, which is great, is we can go out and do some shows and do some tours, but there's plenty of time to do all the other stuff that's really important for me to do. And I'm really appreciative to still be a spin doctor and still have that. And the band still sounds really great, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise we wouldn't do it. You right. know, so it's it's kind of I feel like we're in a good the band's in a cool kind of a cool place right now, you know, and I'm guessing that, you know, in 93 in those years before and after it was just like nothing but touring, right? It was constant touring. I mean, basically from the time, you know, I mean, from the time the band got together, you know, because we were such a, we were so busy in New York, you know, all the way through the 90s. It was just pretty much nonstop. And yeah, once once we hit the road, it was like, see ya. You know, I mean, right. I right. I lived out of a bed. I didn't even have an apartment for about four years. We were just gone. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah we were That's gone. Insane. Man. I, I would, you know, I'd come back to New York and either I'd just usually get a hotel room or stay with a friend or whatever. You mm-hmm. know, every now, every now and then, if we were going to be here for a month or two, I'd do like a sublease or something. But sure. I didn't, actually, I didn't actually get my own apartment until finally after that whole pocket full of kryptonite cycle was over. Wow. In like, you know, 94, I was like, we were like, okay, we're going to take three or four months off. And I I actually got an apartment. It was the first time I ever had my own apartment. (laughs) It was was great. That's crazy though. But, but it was a lot of that. And it was fun. I mean, when you're young, you know, I mean, it's, it was a dream come true. You know, we're out there on the road. We're doing what we love to do. And it was awesome. You know, um, 
when you guys were firing on all cylinders, I mean, like what size clubs were you guys playing? Well, we went, you know, look, we start when we first started touring, we were playing little shithole clubs in front of 10 people. But every time we went back, it grew and grew and grew. And eventually, right. eventually we were packing, you know, like 500 to 1,000 seat clubs all around the country. And then eventually we were packing theaters around the country. And then before you knew it, we were playing like arenas and sheds, packing them around the country. So, you know, it kind of the first like five years, it was like a real slow build, you know, very grassroots. And then mm. obviously, you know, things have changed a lot, but you know, the power of MTV was a huge thing back then. And as soon as as soon as those songs became like hit songs and we were on they threw us all over MTV, it went from like theaters to, you know, arenas like it seemed like overnight. It was just like bam, I mean everything right. kinda, kinda, and obviously, you know, you, it's we weren't able to sustain that level, you know, but for a while there it was it was pretty pretty nuts. Man, I think that that's I think it's hard for anybody to sustain that level. Yeah, I, yeah. I never, I never expected it. Like I always kind of knew. I always kind of looked at it like, even though we're not like athletes. I mean, we can play till the day we die, you know. Mm-hmm. But but your career, it can be. I always looked at a career more like an athlete, especially a band's career. I mean, I, you know, I, I was, I don't know. I think I, I, I was lucky that I, ha- I already had some. I'd already seen some people I know, you know, achieve really big success, and and I. I you know, I've just kind of watching the way things work, and I just noticed that there's very, there were especially around that time, there were very few bands that were able to like come out and get to that to that big and then sustain it. I mean, when I was growing up, you know, it was different. Like in the '70s and '80s, I'd go see every rock concert that came through town. And, you know, me and my brother and my friends would go see it, and it seems like, you know, it was a, it was different. Bands would put out a record, it seemed like almost every year. They go out and do a big tour. It was like this cycle. The record companies were there was there were, they seemed like there was a little more loyalty. They were nurturing bands a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. By the '90s, it was becoming real. Uh, you know, it was big money. It was a big machine. It was a lot of you're in, you're out. You know, onto the next thing. You know, if you don't have a, a hit, you're gone. It was it was it was it became a lot harder to sustain that kind of a level. Also, bands were coming were going from zero to a hundred a lot quicker because of MTV. It used mm-hmm. to take it used to take longer. I mean, if you remember, how old are you? Uh, I don't want to. No, I'm just, you don't mind me <laughs> no, I don't care. Thirty-four. All right. Well, so you're, you know, you're, you're younger than me. I'm, I'm forty-seven. But I remember, like, you know, when I was like twelve, thirteen, fourteen, to my high school years. You know, you, well, actually, MTV started to happen around the '80s. But, but I remember a lot, a lot of my favorite bands. You know, I'd have to go either see them live, buy the record, look in a magazine to see what these guys looked like. You know, mm-hmm. what these girls looked like. And, you know, you had to really discover people more. The word on the streets, the word at school, oh, check out this guy, this band, you know. And, it, and so it, it, took a while, it took a little longer for bands to really get, get known. And then I think they were able to stay known a little longer. MTV, it was just like, you know, you could go from being nobody to, you know, in like a month you were right. on the cover of Rolling Stone, you know. So we definitely f- fell in that category of even though we were a slow build for about five years going from like little clubs to theaters mm-hmm. as soon as as soon as mtv happened it just it just changed everything you know real quick did you guys get on the cover of rolling stone we did yeah oh, man Joke. and again all, all great you know all, all great stuff <laughs> right yeah, but i i knew i really knew I thought, this isn't gonna last man right, right, right. <laughs> you know, so and, and and that's why like see i i, I didn't i didn't start playing the drums to become a rock star i started playing drums to be a professional musician i always right. wanted to be I, I remember telling my i tell this story all the time but i remember getting off the bus in seventh grade and my friend ralph time asking me what do you want to do when you grow up and i looked at him and i said i'm going to be a professional musician and i think he looked at me like i was kind of crazy or like are you serious and you're how do you you're 12 how do you know this but i knew it you know i really right. knew it that's so 
you know, and that's why, again, talking about like what we were talking about before, the lessons and the and getting all your stuff together. So, you know, when if you're lucky enough to have a lot of success, you know, you, you got to have if you want to stay successful in the music business, whether it's with the band or with you break out into your own stuff. I mean, really, like I think that anybody that's going to have a long career in music is going to tell you they've been through ups and downs. They've had and they've had to do a lot of different things, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm lucky that I, I'm really feel lucky that I've been able to do both the band thing and the sideman thing. And now my own, you know, thing. Um, but but I would never be able to do that if I hadn't gotten that background, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah, I agree. It's like, you know, you put just for example, if you sort of fell into spin doctors and didn't do all the stuff before, and then and then spin doctor starts to slow down, and then you say, okay, I'm going to go do something else, and you're like, well, all I know is how to play that that stuff that I played with spin doctor. I don't, I can't play anything else. Yeah. You know, then what are you going to do? So exactly. So you know, that's that's the that's the thing. You know. Right. No, I agree. So speaking of, you had mentioned, you know, doing the sideman stuff and then doing doing your own stuff. So let's talk about that a little bit about, you know, the, the newer stuff that you've been the, working on and, and some current stuff that you're working on. Well, you know, as far as like, you know, once things kind of mellowed out with the spins and it wasn't such a, you know, it wasn't taking up all of my time, I was able to, you know, kind of get back out on the scene in New York and start playing locally more and, and get myself out there. And I kind of wanted to get the word out like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm available, <laughs> you know, because right. people, you know, people knew who I, people knew who I was and uh, I had a good reputation, but I don't think it was, it wasn't like my phone was running like, oh, let's call Aaron to play on this record. Or, let's call Aaron to play on this gig. It was just like, hey, he's that guy in the spin doctors, you know? So, right. so it was, it was kind of like starting over, but in a cool way, you know? So I just started, I just put myself out there and started playing gigs around town, trying to, you know, associate myself with good, good songwriters and good musicians and, you know, eventually people figured out, oh, this guy can do this too. So it's it's turned out great to where I've, I've you know, got this whole other kind of career as well, you know, and um, I'm real grateful for that. I've gotten to play on a lot of great records and toured with a lot of people and, you know, and obviously New York is, I mean, really, the you know, the reason I moved up here in the first place was to be in, a, be in an atmosphere like that where I'd be surrounded by great musicians and have great opportunities and that's exactly what New York is, you know, mm -hmm. it's... I mean, really, the best thing about New York, besides the potential opportunities, is just that, you know, there's so much talent here, and it's so inspiring, you know. I mean, I, I remember feeling that when I first moved here, you know, all of a sudden, you know, God, there's all these great drummers and all these great musicians. I can go see all my heroes play, you know. And yeah. And then 25 years later, it's like, you know, a lot of those heroes are still alive, and then there's all got a whole new set of heroes, you know, a whole new set of people that I'm inspired by, and you can you know, get, you know, getting to play music, good creative music with so many people and going out to hear that. So it's a, it's a constant kick in the ass. You, know, you cannot sit around and rest on your laurels in this town. And if you, you know, if you, if, if you, it helps you to really stay inspired and motivated, I find. Sure. You know? sure. But so, so besides all that, you know, sideman stuff, I, I, um, you know, I, um, and I got into some production. I've always had a recording studio or at least for the last like 15 years, I've had a recording studio where I've, you know, been able to produce other artists and, and do stuff there. And, and, um, but in the last like six or seven years, I started getting into doing my own music as well. And I put out, I just put out my fourth record as a leader. Um, the first record I did was kind of, well, the first three were kind of, I'd call them like, I don't even know how I would describe it, but they're basically instrument, instrumental music record, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's not fusion. It's not jazz. It's not rock. It's kind of I, I don't know what you'd call it, but it's just you know songs that I wrote, and I I've, they've all been guitar based and drum oriented. The first record was I was myself, a really amazing guitar player named Bill Dylan and Tony Levin on bass, mm -hmm. and then the last two records um, were myself, 
Teddy Kumpel, who's an amazing guitar player in New York, and Richard Hammond, a great bass player. We've really developed a band then. We've we've done a lot of shows and we've done two records together. Oh, cool. And then and then I just put out a straight ahead jazz record. You know, I've, I've always um, jazz has always been it's one of my first musical loves. I, I've always played it, although. I think a lot of people don't really know that I play it a lot. I've, I've done a, I've always done jazz gigs in New York, kind of under the radar, but nothing really that, nothing major. Um, mm-hmm. But I finally felt like the time was right to put out a record of my own, and I put a great band together, and uh, we just put out this quintet record, and it's it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. So you're, um, I get, I know that you're playing a lot in the city. Uh, do you have any anything coming up? I do. I got a really cool gig coming up on Monday. I don't, this this probably will be out after that, but but I'm doing a uh, I'm doing a show at the Rockwood Music Hall this Monday, which is May fourth, and it's this group I put together every once in a while called the Air Conditioned Gypsies. It's based on an improvisational group, and I kind of use different musicians. Really excited for this one. It's going to be myself and Mark Giuliani on drums. Oh, nice. I, lo- I just interviewed Mark a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I know. I heard some of that. It was oh, great. Cool. Mark's one of my favorite drummers. I love him. He's amazing. We've, uh, we did one of these gigs about a year ago, and, it, and we really hit it off playing together. He's, he's been a big inspiration to me. He's absolutely one of my favorite drummers. Um, you know, he's got such a fresh approach to drumming, and that's kind of what I was talking about. Like, you know, now there's these guys, you know, a little bit younger than me that are you know, equally as inspiring to me, really more so. I mean, in a lot of ways, they're the guys that are inspiring me more right now because you hear this freshness and, and um, you know, a guy, Mark's right, you know, right on the cusp of that, obviously. He's, he's so great. So he's going to be playing drums with me on that. And then uh, Teddy Kumpel on guitar, um, Ollie Rockberger, great keyboard player, Jonathan Murren on bass, great bass player, plays in Groove Collective and lots of other people. And then this really talented guy named Leon Grum- Grumbon. I hope I'm, I'm saying his name wrong, probably. But he invented this instrument called the Samchillion. It's like this MIDI instrument that he invented about 10 years ago. And, uh, and so that's going to be the band. We're going nice. to do a set of improvisations. And uh, that's, that's my next gig in town. When's that? Mo- May what? May 4th. Yeah, it's coming right up. It's Tuesday like or Monday? Tuesday. It's next Monday. Uh, well, you okay. should come. You're local. I was just thinking. I was like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> maybe yeah. we'll cut this out of the podcast because we we will it'll be past the date. But uh, well, I mean, we'll leave parts of it in. But yeah, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, hmm. Please I, come. I'd love to meet you. And it's gonna be. I mean, it's gonna be great. There's no question about it. We we go on at 10:30. We're gonna play about an hour and a half. It's cool. a free show. It's in Rockwood too. So I'd love to. I'd love for you to come. But cool, yeah. It, but I'm always trying to kind of like you know. I mean, part of the inspiration behind me putting my own groups together is, you know. I've been fortunate that I get to play with a lot of really great people. I'm lucky that the people who call me are people I really respect, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I, and usually people call me because they want me to be me. It's rare that I'm in a situation where somebody's like, do this, do that, you know. So not that I have a problem with that. I'm always open to suggestions, but I find that usually people call me and they want me to, you know, contribute my, my thing. And I really thrive on that, and I love that. And, I, and I, I'm, you know, I, whatever I'm doing, whether it's my own thing or somebody else's thing or – Spin doctors, whatever it is, I always try to put an equal amount of you know care and love into it. Obviously, sure, sure. But the cool thing about doing my own stuff is it's for one, it's you know I've always been a I've always written music, so it's been a it's been a good outlet for that. And also, I, I try to kind of put together situations that are going to kick my ass. You know, like mm-hmm. like this jazz record. You know, like I I hadn't been playing a lot of straight ahead jazz in a while, and I knew that if I if I did this, it was going to kick my ass, and I was going to it was going to force me to like you know, get back into that and, 
you know, practice and listen to that music and really get my shit together so it sounded right. Because I really, you know, I really respect, I respect music. I'm not going to make a half-assed jazz record. I don't want to sound like, let's face it, I mean, there's been enough lame jazz records, you know. <laughs> right. And there's been enough, like, rock drummers playing jazz, you know. And, and that's not, you know, I, I that's not me. So, so by doing that, it was, um, it, it helps me, you know, to push myself. And same thing with, like, you know, this gig that I'm doing on Monday, it's just some, another different cool thing to do, you know, a very creative situation with some really great musicians that I admire. So, you know, a lot of a lot of the choices I make in my own things are kind of, besides just, you know, creative outlets for, for my writing or whatever is, is, is ways to kind of keep myself fresh and inspired and moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing nothing will uh, light a fire on your ass, but then to like set a date, you know, to yeah. to put out the record or like schedule the studio time, and you're like, uh... that's it, that's it, you know. And I, you know, I started I, uh, a couple of years ago. I started studying again. I started taking lessons with Michael Carvin. Oh man, I I interviewed Michael for the for the uh, podcast, and I'm actually going to start studying with him. Oh, awesome! Yeah, Man, I, is that out yet? Is that podcast out? Yeah, yeah, it's been out for like. Oh, okay, well, I didn't, I got to go listen to that. It's in, it's intense. There was parts of the interview where I was like, I couldn't even talk. Yeah, he's an intense cat. He is, and but it, I was just like, I don't even know what to say. To I was just like, I, actually, because I was just like thinking, I was so far off and thinking of things as he was talking. You know, that it was <laughs> it's it's intense. It's a, I mean, I got so many comments about the interview. It's it's great. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to that real soon. Yeah, he's been really inspiring, man. I mean, I, I, a couple of years ago, I, I felt like I wanted to get back and just have a teacher and study. And and uh, I asked around, I asked around, and Carvin's name kept coming up, coming up. You know, this, he's the perfect guy for you. So mm-hmm. so it worked out great. I've been with him for about two years. I see him about once a month. You know, and he's he's been really inspiring. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, when we first started, a lot of it was okay getting back into technique and going back through those books we discussed earlier and mm-hmm. but it's become much more of a conceptual thing and and really an inspiring thing like kind of like you know okay what are you going to do what do you want to do now what are you going to do next you know and, and a lot of that has been you know he, he's definitely been an inspiration to in me like you know putting out these records and trying to put different groups together and always trying to like okay what am i going to do next that's going to kick my ass you know i i don't i, I can i don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over and over you know and it's right. easy to, it's easy to do that when you're when you're you know if you have a semi solid career and you have gigs and all this it's very easy to just get comfortable you know mm-hmm. oh i can do that i mean i can play the spin doctor's gig in my sleep but but even so i still try to I still try to come up with fresh ways and fresh approaches and, and, and show up. And I, I don't want to sound, I don't want people to come here to the spin doctors and, and be like, man, these guys sound tired or this drummer sounds tired. I want to, I want to, I want to keep it fresh, you know? So, mm-hmm. and, but I also find that like by making sure that you're constantly finding fresh things to do, it's also going to help. It's also going to help you with those gigs that maybe it's, maybe you've been doing for a while that might be a little more difficult to keep that freshness, you know? So, right, right, right. He's been great and like kind of helping me kind of figure that out, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I uh, I actually was supposed to start with him a while ago, and then I ended up I was on the road, and I was traveling. And I was like, listen, I'll get back with you, but I was like, I definitely definitely want to take some lessons with him and just sort of, you know, get get a nice kick in the ass from him. Well, you will. You'll get a real kick in the ass on the first lesson, and you know about I think about fifty percent of the people never come back. Really? Yep. So just just hang in there, brother. Oh, I, I'm, I, <laughs> no, but seriously, he's great. And, and, you know, he's, he's not going to, you know, he's going to, he's going to, well, he's, he's, you know, he, he, ha- I, I really think that he has a thing that he does on lesson number one to really figure out who's serious about it 
and who wants to uh, who's who really wants to study with him. You know, right. and a lot of people. <laughs> what, a lot does of people he, what does he do? Or do you not well, want to I'll give it away? You, I'll let you. I, I want you and whoever else is listening to this to go find out for themselves. But it, you know, I think I, I would recommend anybody that is already an experienced drummer that, that is looking for like a, a you know a, a fresh approach and and just a, a newfound inspiration he's the perfect guy to go to mm-hmm. i mean i don't think he even teaches beginners i mean it's most mostly like you know kind of that's what he says yeah. in the interview he's like i i don't i don't do the children thing i'm not gonna yeah. teach how to hold yeah. your sticks <laughs> exactly he doesn't do that but but again, I mean, you know, I've talked to people that were like, man, I, I couldn't handle it, you know. But but believe me, if you, I, I most everybody that I've known that's ever stuck with him, and gone back for lesson number two and three and four and five, have had have just been like have gotten so much out of it. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty amazing, you know. But mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, so I. I think you'll. I really highly. I highly recommend it. It's been great for me. You know? Oh, I'm definitely there. There hasn't. There's never been a question of whether I'm going to or not. It's just a matter yeah. of doing it soon. And he, he. I remember the way that I found out about Michael Carvin was I read a Modern Drummer article about him a long time ago, and. When I started the podcast, I was like, man, I want to interview that guy. And I was like, I don't even remember who it was. So I did go through all of my old wow. modern drummers. And it took me like a couple hours. And then I finally found it. it was like Michael Carvin. So I yeah. you know, sent him an email and he was he was awesome. And yeah, I'll, I'll send you the link to the uh, to the interview. It's great. Yeah, and I'll, I'll post I'll put it on your show notes as well. So that people that are listening to this can check it out. OK, good. And I'll tell you something else. I mean, this isn't always the case, you know. Besides being an amazing teacher, he is an unbelievable drummer. I mean, mm-hmm. he, you know, I mean, he's he, I mean, dude, this guy can play, man. He's he's incredible. And to this day, I mean, I I've gone and seen him a couple of times recently in New York with his group, and he's he's fantastic. Yeah. So so focused and like, he's just he's really something else, man. Yeah. 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 I'm I'm excited. You got me. You got me. Uh, inspired to go take lessons with him again to really like get on the stick and yeah so i do it you won't regret it great oh i know i know that so do you teach privately i do you You know not not regularly but i do every now and then i uh i do like an artist artist and residency up in uh up in the drummers and collect drummers collective excuse me i can't speak drummers (laughs) collective Mm -hmm. and then i and i also teach out of my recording studio it's not regular but a lot of times i find i get more like people are in town and like hey i'm gonna be in town for a week can you give me a lesson i'll do i'll do like one-off lessons it's kind of you know i found works really well and i'll get together and just try to throw as much stuff at people inside of an hour or two as i can um cool and I'm also I should mention that I'm doing a clinic at the Drummers Collective on May 21st. Oh, nice. Yeah. Let me look. Your uh, yeah, your interview will be out by then. So cool. Cool. Yeah. So uh, so clinic May 21st at Drummers Collective. Yeah. Awesome. I'm gonna make notes of that. But I enjoy teaching every now and then. I mean, I, I always I always enjoy the opportunity um, doing teaching and and you know I've started to do clinics over the last three or four years and I really enjoy it. It's you know I find it. I find it, you know, I get a lot of it. I hope, I hope everybody in the room gets a lot out of it. I know I get a lot out of it because it's, you know, we, it's interesting when you have to sit there and hear you talk about music and, you know, it, so you got to practice what you preach. And I find myself right. saying some of the stuff. I was like, oh, shit, well, I better do that. <laughs> you know? Right. But, you know, but, it, you know, but it's nice to, I, I feel like I have enough experience now where it's, it's nice to, uh, to be able to give something back. And, 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 um, you know, I remember when I was coming up and, you know, just some of the things that some, sometimes the simplest little thing that somebody would say in a drum clinic or something could would would mean so much. I remember I was um I went to an Adam Nesbaum clinic once 
I think it was in I think it was in Dallas, maybe when I was still in Dallas. I remember he said something that always stuck with me. He was like, "When you're playing the drums, you have to take yourself from out from behind the kit and and imagine what it's like to be looking in at you, you know, mm-hmm. watching watching this person play." And it just really resonated with me because we're so like it's so easy to get into your own little world. You know, you're back there behind the drums and you're playing away and you're in your own head and you're like, but you got to remember like it's. It's starting with you, but what are you projecting out there? You know, what is the person who's ten feet in front of you? What are they getting? You know, what, right. what, what does it look like? What does it sound like? What do you, you know? So, I never forgot that. It really, it was one of the something about that has just stuck with me. I think about that a lot now. You know, mm-hmm. um, not so much the performance aspect of it, although although that's something too. But just the just being aware of what you're, you know, of what you're doing, and and something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and what I've been telling, you know, what I do when I do do the occasional lesson or clinic, is talking to drummers about, you know, playing the drums. Don't let the drums play you, because I feel right. like music, so many so many musicians, you know, kind of let their instrument play them, and it, it takes a tremendous amount of focus not to let that happen. I mean, it's. You know, uh, look at guitar players. I mean, you see guitar players where their fingers just, they rush or their fingers are doing, or it's like their fingers are playing them, not them not playing the guitar. Drummers too, you know. And again, because drumming is such a technical instrument and we have to, we have to really get to a certain level of technique to play even the simplest thing, I think that drummers suffer from this probably the most just because you, know, you work so hard getting your chops together and then, you know, you want to show off your chops. I mean, it's, it, it, and every single drummer, any drummer that's gotten to a certain technical level, usually in their younger ages, we're all guilty of it, myself yeah. included. I, I don't think any, I don't think there's one person on the planet that would tell you that they didn't do it. Okay, yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. And there's it's wrong it's so. It. I mean, it's 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 hard. It's it's a thousand times harder to not play that stuff than it is to play it. It's, it's exactly, and it takes a lot of discipline. But it's important to really learn how to control what you're doing, you know. And and I've I find that usually what I do, especially when it's just a one-off lesson, when I know that I okay, I got to try to give this person as much as I can in an hour. I don't have time to. We're not going to be going through a bunch of books today. I mean, I might give them a few, you know, introduction to syncopation or something. But like, I like to listen to people play. And you know, nine times out of ten, they're 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 playing too much. A lot of, usually they sound pretty good. But I'm like, okay. Break it down. Just take everything away and just play play that beat, but just play it simple. Just play, you know, one and three on the kick, two and four on the snare, hi hat, eighth notes. Mm-hmm. Try to get a great sound out of it. Really, you know, focus on the sound. Focus on the relationship between the limbs and the instruments. Try to think of, you know, this is one instrument. Don't think of it as four different instruments. Think of it as how everything is working together, and 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 play that beat. I tell people play this beat. This is what I used to do when I was in Berkeley. When I when I have my like eight hour a day practice sessions, I would get a metronome, and I would just play two and four, one and three, hi hat, and I would do it for an hour. I kid you not, an mm-hmm. hour because I, I really wanted to get my groove together. I really wanted to get my feel and my time and all that together, and I would just do it for an hour. And and then you know like so I tell people like you, you know you don't have to do it for an hour. You might not have that much time, but like do it for a while, and then add slowly add one more thing and you know keep adding you can keep adding until you're doing super complex if that's what you want to but the point is is that 
every note really counts. You know, I, I'm like, I say, you know, this is, this is play it like it's the last note you'll ever play. Like it means everything in the world to you. Like this note should be the most important thing in your life right now, you know, and right. seriously, you know, yeah. because you can't just let the drums play you. You can't just play these notes for no reason, you know? And it's, so I find like, you know, break it down to nothing and then build it back up. And, and then eventually, you know, if, if you want to play complicated stuff, you got you. You can you can get to the point where you, you can hit right on the downbeat and bam, you're on it. But it takes a lot of work and time to get that. Very few guys can do that, and I I firmly believe that you know, break the stuff down to nothing and build sure. it back up. Every note count. It's just it really, it, you know. And I find that like you know you can become a, you sound like a better musician in, in two seconds just by doing that. You will sound better, mm-hmm. you know, and all your music, all your your bandmates are going to look at you and go, "Man, what happened? This this is great, right?" <laughs> you know, I, it really works. I yeah. remember talking to, uh, I interviewed Rick Morata, and he was saying that he was like, you know, I, I asked him about how he developed his style and everything, and he's kind of a character. I don't know if you know Rick or not, but um, he's kind of a character. Yeah, I've met him a few times. Funny, uh, hilarious, yeah, hilarious guy. Hilarious, and I'm like, "How'd you develop your style?" He's like, "Man, I just." The more I heard people playing, he, or the more people played, I just tried to play less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's like, so I'm constantly, and that's, I've told somebody before, like, I feel like I'm, I spent, you know, half of my time learning all this stuff and how to play all this crazy stuff. And now I'm trying to learn how to not play all that stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, and, I, and I, I, there's a time and there's a place for everything. I mean, sure. I have no, like, I mean, I, I have no, like, opinion on whether – there's no right or wrong. Like, I love it all. Like, I love playing super, super simple pockets, and I love playing really, you know, complicated stuff. But it's always got to have a pocket, and it's always got, it's always got to have a reason and a meaning, you know, right. and a truth to it. And you can hear when it doesn't. You can hear when a drummer is just playing a bunch of bullshit, and you can hear when a drummer is playing – some really great shit that works, you know, and that to me, I, Tony Williams is the perfect example. I always use him as an example of somebody who's incredibly technical playing some very, very technical. If you break it down, it's very technical and complicated, but it always sounds great. I never, I've never heard Tony Williams. I mean, listen to all that Miles Davis stuff. There's not one note that I don't want to hear that he's playing. You know, it all, Mm -hmm. it always adds to the music. It's always totally honest. And, uh, but it's extremely technical, you know, and then you got a guy like Al Jackson, you know, who's just laying it down super simple and it's just as intense, you know? So it's just, as long as the, as long as it's honest and has a place, then, it's great, you know, but mm-hmm. it's like you have to you have to find that that uh, that that honesty. Yeah, you really do. Yeah, I mean, if you're you know if you're not playing musically, then what are you really doing? What are you? Yeah, you know, what yeah. are you playing? And and again, exactly. And again, we all go through it. And I think I really think it's it's even. I think drums is extremely difficult to to uh, find that balance on because it's it is such a technical instrument. And it's, mm-hmm. It takes a lot of discipline and control to play the drums and not let them play. It's not a it's not a melodic instrument, you know. So, I mean, you can you can play melodically, but it's not inherently a, a melodic instrument. So you can you know if you're playing guitar and you're not playing the right chords and all that, and you're so if you're not playing musically, it's gonna show a lot more than if you're playing drums and you're not playing musically. You know, I think right. No, I, I understand what you're saying. I think maybe that's where the some of the disconnect is where people are like, I don't know, I feel like I'm playing musically, but maybe I'm not. You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You don't know. You what know, you and don't again, know. I mean, I, I think you know. I think it, it's. 
the more you're the more you're actually playing music with musicians, the more that stuff's going to come together, you know. And, and mm-hmm. it's why it's important to, you know, at some point you got to get out of the practice room and you got to go start playing with people, and and um, and things will change because you know people are going to say stuff if they don't. If you're if you're playing a bunch of bullshit, they're going to be like, "Why are you playing that?" You know. So you know, it's trial and error and getting out there and and actually playing music with good musicians. Mm-hmm. Is the way is the way to do it, you know. I mean, it's a it's a it's a big combination of there's so many ways, so many things. It's such a long process getting your act together, you know. And um, there's no shortcut, you know. And I, I, you know, I I hate to see. Well, it's interesting because, you know, when when I was growing up, I think there were probably at least in the schools there were probably there were definitely better music programs. I mean, we were we were we were being exposed to jazz. We were being exposed to orchestra reading all this stuff these more fundamental things were being presented to us and i think it's it's harder for people to find that now you know a lot of times you just go straight from picking up a pair of sticks to the local rock school and you're playing you know which is i don't have any problem with that i think music's supposed to be fun but i think that a lot of times there's a there's a lot of stuff in the middle that's getting lost unless you're lucky enough to find a great teacher now with all that said maybe I'm totally wrong because the the amount of incredible young talent out there is at an all time high. So I think, I think the difference is, you know, what, what people have, what kids have now that we didn't have is they have YouTube, you know, they have mm-hmm. there's so much that they're, they're able to see everything, no matter what part of the world you live in, you can, you can find so much. So you might, you might be a little more responsible on your own. I think to find the stuff, it's a little harder maybe to find the guidance. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, you know, I, it's, it's a little bit of a different time, but the, the good news is that um, you know the the, the talent, the ta- the young talent is pretty pretty incredible. So there's, I think we're in good hands. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that the pre YouTube era, you had to find, you had to go and find a mentor, you had to find a teacher. Yeah. And now with YouTube, uh, you know, you can find anybody playing drums, and they may may not necessarily be showing you the right stuff or teaching you the right stuff. So you know, you kind of got to take everything with a grain of salt and filter it out and make sure that you're really, you're really finding the, the cats that are going to teach you the right stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Know. There's a lot, there's a lot of information out there. You know, there's a lot to, there's a ton of information out there to, uh, to, to find, you know, it's, it's, it's different. I mean, I can't say what it's like to be, I, I have no idea what it's like to be nine and pick up her sticks these days. I, I can really only compare it to what I had. And again, for me, I feel really lucky that I had that guy, Jack Iden, who, who showed me this stuff, and um, I think there still are a lot of great, a lot of great teachers and people that that people can be lucky enough to find. But you know, with there's there, with all that said, like I said, you, listen, I mean, there's just so much out there. You know, hopefully, mm-hmm. you can be lucky enough to find a great teacher, and you have all this other stuff that we didn't have. You know, so right. it's, the sky, the sky's the limit. You know? Man, I can't even imagine growing up with YouTube. It's yeah, been it's awesome. Crazy, right? <laughs> I know. But it was fun to like, you know, we, we, we found it anyway. I mean, it was just more of like a, I mean, I guess it still is a word of mouth thing, but I just remember going to school and your friends talking about this band and that band and this drummer and, you know, and having to go see the concert. And it was, it was, uh, it was just different, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it wasn't nearly as much of a barrage of information as it is now, you know? Right. Right. Makes sense. Well, cool, man. Uh, listen, I mean, we're you know we're running over an hour now, but thank you so much for taking all the time to chat with me. I could have, I could talk for hours. So, yeah, man. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for uh, for including me. It's great, great uh, podcast you're doing. I'm 
I've enjoyed a lot of the episodes already, and I'm definitely going to check out that Michael Carvin one here in the next couple of days. Yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely a good one, man. And uh, and thank you for for the kind words. I I appreciate it. It's it's been a labor of love, and I'm glad to to have you as a part of it. Thanks, brother. Absolutely. And hey, man, if you're if you if you're if you're up for it Monday night, stop by. I think you know what I think I'm going to do that. So yeah, it'll be fun. It's going to be a lot of good, a good time for sure. Awesome. Aaron, again, thank you. I appreciate it, and I know that the listeners do as well. So thank you very much. All right, man. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. So there you have it, Mr. Aaron Comis. Be sure to check him out at aaroncomis.com, C-O-M-E-S-S. And if you're looking to get one of those Drummer's Resource 100th session commemorative tees, check out drummersresource.com forward slash T, T-E-E. Check me out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummers resource, on Instagram at drummers resource, and on Twitter at drummers R source. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Peace.